talks about how what a blessing it is to as a as a teacher of children to uh, be with those kids, but also to prepare. To, to dig into God's word, because I will tell you, I, I probably am the person blessed the most on any Sunday from the message that is given, because not only do I get to give that, but I also get to learn from it, and, and I, I get to learn things that I don't even have time to share, and I hope in many ways that the, that the Sunday morning message is a springboard for you uh, to learning yourself. One of the things that that uh, I was excited to be reminded of in in studying um, Matthew one this week was, <clears throat> and I don't know if you're aware of this, but Jesus is the only Jewish man alive that can prove that he is the rightful heir to the throne of David. And I don't just mean because he is and nobody else is, but he's the only man alive that can prove it. Because no other Jewish man could reference genealogical records from the Old Testament. In fact, Jewish people today cannot even prove from genealogical records what tribe they belong to of the nation of Israel. Why is that? It's because the Romans destroyed the genealogical records when they destroyed Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And the records that we have from, uh, as far as leading into the New Testament, the records that we have in Luke 1 and in Matthew 1 are the only genealogical records that exist spanning the Old Testament and New Testament times. It's really interesting. I preached on this maybe about seven years ago. Uh, the, the, the records of Luke are Mary's line to Jesus from King David. And the records that we have in Matthew 1 are Joseph's line from King David to Jesus. Well, and I thought that, that uh, or from Abraham even to Jesus. I thought I would share with you uh, from a song that, that we enjoy called Matthew Begats. And, and I thought I'd share it uh, actually off the top of my head, but I don't trust myself to, to remember it uh, standing here in front of you. But the lines go like this. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac, he had Jacob. Jacob, he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman, Tamar. And this is right out of Matthew 1 if you wanted to follow along. I mean, not the exact words, but Perez, he brought Hezron up. And then came Aaron and Abinadab and Nashon, who was then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth, she married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse. Jesse, he had David, who we know as king. David, he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa, he had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Uzziah, who had Jotham, then Ahaz, then Hezekiah, followed by Manasseh, who, was, who had Amon, who was Aman, who was fathered a good boy named Josiah, who grandfathered Jehoiakim, who caused the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar. Then he had Shealtiel, who begot Zerubbabel, who had Abiud, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azer, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Achim was the father of Eliud, then 
He had Eliezer, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. Now listen very closely. I don't want to say this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Christ. So why don't we hear Jacob was the father of Joseph, who had Jesus? Well, it comes right from Matthew 1.16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Why isn't Joseph listed as Jesus' father? Well, he's Jesus' adopted father. Because God, the Father, had the Holy Spirit hover, if you will. Or if we learned about in, in, um, in Luke... Oh, the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary and she would become pregnant. God the Father is Jesus' father. Joseph is his adopted father. That wasn't Joseph's plan. You know, Joseph's plan was that he was going to be married and then Mary was going to be with child and it was going to be his child and he was going to be able to look into those eyes and see himself. But the fact is, is that even though Joseph and Mary had a love story going on, there was a love story of the ages that was taking place. Dating not just back to King David, not just back to Abraham, dating all the way back to the garden, where shortly after we sinned in Adam and Eve, God made a promise that the seed of the woman, the descendant of the woman, would one day crush the head of God's enemy, the serpent. And that would happen in the person of Jesus Christ. We looked last week at how Mary released her life story to God's love story. We also looked at how Mary reimagined what she considered the chance of a lifetime. Mary would have had the the Jewish dream just as long as we might have the American dream. Mary would have had the Jewish dream of of getting married and and, and having a baby and and, uh, having her house right there next to, with Joseph, maybe right there next to Joseph's family's house and, and building on and growing up together and growing old. But God wrecked her plans with his love story. Today we see how Joseph's plans were wrecked by God's love story of the ages. So we pick up in verse 18 in Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary, who had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, I'm going to be breaking into this verse here with some kind of understanding some of like historical situations here. The, the betrothal, as we talked about last week, the betrothal was just about like being married except for the fact that the couple did not live together. They did not have a sexual union together. In fact, the betrothal required two witnesses, and it made me think about how when a couple sign a marriage certificate after their ceremony, it requires two witnesses. It's usually the maid of honor and the best man who sign on to that. Well, a betrothal required witnesses as a part of it as well. From Joseph's perspective, he liked it and he put a ring on it. He, he would pay at least half of the bride price. 
That price would be set by Mary's father. It's kind of like, yeah, I think this is uh, where the price point of what the market will bear for my daughter here, you know. And Joseph would have paid half of that bride price as a part of the betrothal. But we read she was found to be with child. Understand that during a betrothal period, even Mary flirting with another guy would have been considered adulterous. And understandably, Joseph assumes the worst, that Mary had committed adultery. One writer says, while little is said about Joseph, one can imagine how this, his heart must have broken. He genuinely loved Mary, and yet the word came that she was pregnant. His love for her was demonstrated by his actions, though. He chose not to create a public scandal by exposing her condition to the judges at the city gate. Understand that, that, that uh, why would he have, would have, what would have been a motivation to expose her condition to the judges at the city gate? Part of it would have been, I want my money back. I want that half of the bride price back. So part of what's going on here is Joseph's like, you know what? If I lose that, I lose it. We're told he's a just. His, his term means he's a righteous person. Um, as righteous as we people can be, I suppose. And, and so one question I ask myself when it, it says, when it says he was a just man and unwilling, I ask that question, okay, and here, what is, it, what is meant by and here? Because it could be he was just, but and at the same time, though, he was unwilling to. But the, the term and here means it's a binding together of the close relationship between him being just and him being unwilling to put her before public shame. It was a, it was a carry out of his righteous nature The shame that she would have born, born would have been for a lifetime. Uh, a, a woman who had become pregnant during her betrothal period and, and then released from that betrothal, it's very likely that she would not have been a candidate for marriage again. It's very, it would have been very likely that once Mary's parents passed away that she would have had no means of support. He wanted to decrease that possibility but but why not just marry her well in his mind she had committed adultery that's how this happened in his mind we can also see his heart's desire when we read in the next verses where it says but as he considered these things behold an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream saying joseph son of david do not fear to take mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the holy spirit She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice the angel doesn't have to say, Joseph, go take Mary as your wife. What does he say? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. It indicates to me that it was Joseph's desire to marry her and how heartbroken he must have been. And God's message to him was, it's okay. I'm in it. Part part of Joseph's being a just man was that he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And he was stuck in that quagmire. What does this mean? 
So we read uh, Matthew's commentary here. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Quoting that prophecy from 700 years earlier from Isaiah 7. And we continue in verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son. And she called his name, I'm sorry, and he called his name Jesus, also in obedience to what God had told him. The sense here is that as soon as Joseph awaked from this dream, he obeyed. Don't you love how Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, it's like a man relating the birth of a child. You know, we come home, hey, so-and-so had a baby. And, uh, you know, the questions are how, when, what time of the day or night, how long is it, how much did it weigh, what's it, I'm lucky if I know the name. That's kind of Matthew's account here where, as we see uh, and look at next week, Luke goes into much greater detail. Matthew kind of states it like a man does. You know, um, I checked this with the early service. It's kind of uh, half and half, I think, here. Uh, As far as what you call the truck that comes and gets a car that has gotten into an accident or is dead on the side of the road or something like that. I remember one of the first times Kelly and I were talking about this, um, I said something about it being a wrecker. And Kelly was like, a wrecker? What? Oh, you're talking about a tow truck. It was one of the first times I thought about it. I was like, why do we in Tennessee, and I understand some of us here in Indiana, why do we call this a wrecker? Okay, it sounds like, I mean, what it is is it's the thing that comes in and kind of helps with the problem once there's been a wreck. But to call it a wrecker sounds like it's actually causing the problem, right? Sounds like it's the thing that wrecked the car in the first place. So I'm not sure what sort of sense that makes. You know, similarly, we expect to God to deal with our situations when they have been wrecked. We do not expect God to be a wrecker. We do not expect God to wreck our plans, our hopes, our dreams. But understand, God wrecked Joseph's plans. Just say it like he wrecked Mary's plans. Jewish dream of a Jewish, uh, dreamt by a little Jewish young lady. When somebody asks the question, and I, and I don't mean to say that, that they're a bad person for asking this, but when somebody asks the question, why does God let bad things happen to good people? I can't help but thinking that's an arrogant question. You know why? Because that question assumes that God should work by our definitions. We decide what is good. And we decide that something is bad. And so we decide also that God's job is to keep bad things from happening to good people. God should never be a wrecker. 
But the fact is, is that God has eternal ideas of what is good. And God's standard for what is good is his glory. And God has eternal ideas about what is bad. They're not our ideas. God is always working according to his plan. But his plan often wrecks our plans. Thank God they do. Thank God they do. The fact is this. As we see right there in verse 18, this is all about the birth of Jesus. It is all about the birth of Jesus and how it took place. And I don't know if you notice, but back in Luke 1, which we looked at last week, we were told twice how it took place. That, that, that it would be from the Holy Spirit. That, that the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary. And it was so that the, the child could be holy, the Son of God. And here we see how the birth of Jesus took place. And from that we should be challenged to make our Christmas season about Jesus. Okay, this whole story here where he says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. And everybody else is playing bit parts. Everybody else are, is supporting actors. Don't let me make you think because our series is titled A Love Story for the Ages that this is about Joseph and Mary because it's not. It's about God and his covenant love for his privileged people. Which if you know Christ as your Savior, you're included in that privileged people that his love story is aimed at. So make it about Jesus. All of the scriptures, the people, the patriarchs, the priests, the prophets, the kings, they're all about Jesus. Jesus is our perfect prophet, priest, and king. All of them are just bit parts leading up to his entrance to the stage. The situation of Jesus' birth, it carried a lot of stigma for Joseph. And you know what? It carried a lot of stigma for Jesus too. You can see that in John chapter 8. Okay, Jesus is talking to, to the Jewish rulers and, and they're claiming our father is Abraham. And he's saying, you know what? You're acting like your other father, the devil. You know, and, and so they're going on here, and out of nowhere, they look at him and they say, we weren't born from immorality. Why do they say that? Because Jesus' life carried this stigma of the circumstance of Mary's pregnancy. And Joseph's life did too. It is true, okay, under certain circumstances, when our hearts are aligned with God's will, that he gives us the desires of our hearts. But like Joseph, your first concern must be whether your, your desires are aligned with God's desires. I think that's what Joseph was set free on when God told him, don't be afraid. I, I think that's where him being a just man fell into play here. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do with this? 
You know, G.K. Chesterton has said, when people no longer believe in God, it's not that they believe in nothing. They believe in everything. When people no longer believe in God, it's not that they believe in nothing. They believe in everything and anything. I'd say there's kind of an in-between here for, for Christians that we can be guilty of. When we no longer understand God the way he truly is, then we believe that, that God, um, the, the God that we assume is, a, is about whatever we think he should be about. When we no longer believe God as he truly is, we assume that he is about everything that we think he should be about. It's like no holds barred, right? Smorgasbord, whatever you want him to be. And when our plan is not about Jesus and God wrecks our plans, then that's when we question whether we even believe he's real. But it's a gift of us teaching us, of him teaching us what he's really about. The wrecking of our plans isn't an indictment of God. It's an indictment of the lies that we've believed of him. It's a reminder that it's not about us. And I'll tell you, freedom is found in that reminder that it's not about us. You know, what does it take to be a good conversationalist? Well, the conversation of a gossip is about others. The conversation of an insecure person is about themselves. A really good conversationalist will make it about you. Surrender your life story to God's love story. Be a wise and fruitful conversationalist. Make it about Jesus. Make it about Jesus. Make Christmas about Jesus. Just as Peggy was sharing about. Surrender your life story in light of his love story. Parents, when is it right to start praying for your child's future spouse? I know some that start praying as soon as, you know, when the baby is in the womb, right? When their child is an infant. Know this. Even before Jesus was born, God the Father had Jesus' future bride in mind. If you know Christ is your Savior, it's you. And share with others how, how Christmas is about God's love story for the ages. About Him doing everything for His Son and His Son's future bride. And that was God's intent, God's on God's mind, even in Jesus' infancy, even in, in when Jesus was, wasn't even born yet. Secondly, I want to challenge us here this morning. Do not fear. Obey God. Do not fear. Obey him. That's what, what, G, what Joseph was told, just even as he was considering these things. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife explaining that, that that which was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God's message isn't, don't be afraid, Joseph. I'm not going to wreck your plans. I'm not going to touch your plans. Isn't that usually what we're afraid of? God's message assures Joseph that he's behind 
the wrecking of his plans. He assures him, this is a part of my plan, Joseph. He has a purpose for the embarrassing, disappointing, grieving situation that Joseph is going to go through. And we can learn from this event what should be the basis of our fearless obedience. And first of all, your fearless obedience can be fueled as you are trusting God's bigger plan. Joseph's told, you're going to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This triggers everything that Joseph's been taught of the coming Messiah. And, and Matthew reminds us that it's a, it's a fulfillment of the prophecy from 700 years earlier in Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, when liberal theologians seek to undermine Christianity, a major first target is the virgin birth of Christ. God considers this a key doctrine And his enemy, the devil, also considers it a key doctrine of who Jesus is. We we looked last week at how Jesus means God is our salvation. And, And God explains to Joseph that Jesus will save his people from their sins. And if you know Christ as your Savior, as I mentioned, you are a part of that privileged people. You are a descendant of Abraham, as we're reminded in Galatians 3, 7. Know that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. We're told that Jesus will be that Emmanuel. God would finally dwell with his people. He will dwell on this earth as a physical person. And after Pentecost, we now get to enjoy the indwelling Holy Spirit, God with us as his Holy Spirit. You know, I read about a grandfather who, who uh, his, his grandson was showing him how he had learned joy to the world on the piano. And the grandfather sat down next to him and, and started singing with him. And he sang through the first verse and then his grandson stops. And his grandfather looks at him and says, let's do the second verse. The grandson looks at, up at him horrified and says, but I only learned the first one. Well, it's just a repeating of the same chords and the same notes. Did you know this? The number one most given command in all of Scripture is do not fear. Do not fear. As if it's intended to be layered over everything that God commands. As if it's been intended to be layered over everywhere that the Holy Spirit convicts you in one of those gray areas where where Scripture is not completely clear on what you should do. And when you have your orders, He says, do not fear. Trust and obey. And trusting God's bigger plan empowers fearless obedience to be done immediately and wholeheartedly, just as Joseph did. When he awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not. You know, this is the biblical term for there were no sexual relations between them until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus, also a step of obedience. 
Let me say something. This was not Joseph's attempt to make it appear like Mary had been born by normal means or make it appear as if Mary was pregnant not through immorality. Okay? Let's recall something from Luke 1. Okay? The uh, angel Gabriel tells Mary that Elizabeth, her barren cousin, is pregnant and her pregnancy is in its sixth month. Mary goes immediately to see Elizabeth to verify this. Mary stays until Elizabeth's child is born. Mary comes home to Nazareth three months pregnant. So this was not, okay, we're going to cover this up and I'm going to you know, take you in my home quickly. Mary, Joseph goes to take Mary as his wife with Mary, obviously three months pregnant. He violated the betrothal custom, the the tradition, by immediately taking Mary into his home. He didn't wait until the time period of betrothal had passed, meaning. But yet he did not know her. Joseph had the stigma of a shotgun wedding without having sinned, as people assumed, and without the sexual union. Instead, instead this likely increased the very desires that people assumed caused the pregnancy. And Joseph bore that burden. What was Joseph doing? He was taking Mary in under his protection. And men, Joseph models for us what it looks like to be a covering for our wives. Protecting them. Providing for them. Ignoring the personal cost of putting her first without thought of how it will benefit us. And the fact that... Doing so ignored, he was ignoring the fear of what it involved and did so immediately means he did so wholeheartedly. We don't need to be afraid of zeal in our obedience. Like the little kid that didn't want to go back to church because last time he was, the, the pastor quoted Psalm 69.9, for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. He was like, no, I don't want to have anything to do with zeal. We don't have to be afraid of zeal in our obedience when we know it's what God wants us to do. Do not fear. Obey. Obey God. You know, I heard about a man who was being prepped for surgery and he he was taken into the OR on the gurney and getting a little bit groggy and stuff like that. And all of a sudden he's like, get me out of here. Get me back to my room. I don't want to have anything to do with this. You know, uh, get, get away from me, you people. And they're like, fine, okay, we'll take you back to your room. Let's get him settled down. What's going on? And he gets back there and his family's like, what's up? You were, you were totally fine and everything. He says, you don't understand. I got into the OR and the nurse says, don't worry. An appendectomy is a really simple procedure. You'll be okay. They're like, what's the problem with the nurse like comforting you? He's like, no, you don't understand. She wasn't talking to me. She was talking to the surgeon. You know, God didn't have to tell Jesus, don't worry, it'll be okay. But everybody along in the process had to be told, do not fear. I've got this. I might be wrecking your life story, but it's all a part of my love story, my love story for the ages. 
This is important enough to me to wreck your plans. And I don't think God takes that lightly. Like Joseph, you're told, do not fear, because you're simply playing a secondary role. Okay? Like, like we're up here on the stage, and Joseph's got, I mean, Jesus has got all the lines. He's the one that's got to be in just the right spot and got to do everything just right. And, you know, we're just like the trees in the back, you know. All we've got to do is sway every now and then and smile. We just play bit parts in this love story. But where are we at in God's love story? We're not trees, okay? God has betrothed us to himself. Jesus has gone away to prepare his home for us in his father's house. We're told about this in John 14. As Joseph did with Mary, Jesus is going to obey the father's timing to return and take us to be with himself for all of eternity as his bride. And in the meantime, we're told, do not fear, but obey. Where is your obedience being halted by fear? I'll tell you, you you might be surprised, but even as I um, stand up before you every week and deliver God's word to you, when, when, I, when God impresses on me, you know, it's time to turn off the TV and put away the phones and, and get out God's word and read together as a family, you might be surprised the fear that comes over me. Like the, what do I say? Well, what, if, what if nobody wants to hear it? What if I pick the wrong passage? Um, you know, what sort of questions should I ask afterwards? You know, you, wouldn't, you would not believe the fear that comes over me during that time. God's telling me just as much as anybody else, do not fear. Parents and grandparents, this is a time to sow the truth into the children that look to you. This is a time to to sow in them the truths of what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Jesus is our Emmanuel. God with us. And we, we take for granted how from this, that point forward, he is God with us. If we know Christ as our Savior, he is with us. And just as he promised in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Because he became that Emmanuel, God with us. He promised his presence as a part of our being on gospel mission together. Where he tells us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, that he will be God with us. Where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is that because he is Emmanuel, God with us. And we will be with him again physically, as we talked about from Romans 14, when he comes and he takes his bride, just as Joseph did, 
Read about in verse 3 where he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And we will be with him as his bride. In the meantime, do not fear, but obey. And make it about him. Make it about him. Let's bow our heads.